kids, they said. It will be fun, they said. Who the heck are they, anyway? As moms, we sacrifice a lot for our families, our time, our health, our wallets, our identity, friendships, personal care, and of course, our beloved sleep. Motherhood is a crazy ride, one that is not meant to be braved alone. It takes a village, right? Well, your village is here. I'm your host, Sabrina Greer, and every week I will be diving into the gray areas of motherhood with some very special guests. This is not the highlight reel, but the real deal. So reheat that cup of coffee, turn up the volume, and get ready for the reminder that you've got this, mama. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in again. I'm your host, Sabrina Greer. Today's episode is going to be super fun and a tad on the risque side. So if you're in the car or earshot away from your babes, I highly recommend earmuffs on this one. Today, we are talking about sex. That's right. S-E-X. Sex. I said it. I'm going to have to put an explicit warning on this one, maybe. Um, we're opening up, pun intended, about all things sex after children. We've all been there, right? Where sex feels like a chore after a full day of momming. There are some days where I personally would rather watch paint dry than put on my sexy face, and I adore my hubby. But we have two amazing guests with us today, very different guests, and we're going to talk about all aspects of sex after kids. Kelly is an erotic expert, and Heike is a pelvic floor physio a midwife, a doula, so she knows her way around <laughs> uh, this topic. So we're going to dive right in and go where no mama has gone before and talk all about sex. So please give a warm welcome to our first guest, Kelly Swartz. With more than 10 years of experience in the area of sexuality and expression, she moved from Mexico to Toronto in 2016, following a five-year layover in New York. <laughs> I like that, a layover, where she continued her academic and personal exploration with an MA in critical theory focused on erotic literature, an almost completed PhD in erotic literature, and a graduate of the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, she is sought out for her knowledge, counsel, and wisdom. She has extensive public speaking, television, and radio experience on topics ranging from erotic literature to pornography. She is a published author on themes of erotic nature. Kelly helps navigate topics that are usually laden with ignorance, taboo, and shame by using humor and a holistic approach in which all areas of our lives are connected. She's also a master dragon fermenter. <laughs> Her eldest dragon is Danielle, who just turned three. She has a second, Solal, who is 19 months, and she is currently fermenting her third child, who is going to be joining us in this world mid-October. Wow, you are one busy woman. Welcome, Kelly. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, really great to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us while you're fermenting your third dragon. That's a, a very busy time, as we all know, and crazy time. And what a fun topic to talk about in, in your current state. <laughs> I love it. In my beach, beach whale state. <laughs> I'm sure you're not a beach whale, but I'm sure you feel like one. I remember feeling exactly like that. <laughs> we also have with us today, Heike Ulmer. Heike is a German midwife with 10 years experience in her field who moved to Toronto with her family in 2016. In Germany, much like Canada, midwives have care of their clients during pregnancy, labor, and post-pregnancy, and have care of the newborn baby. In Germany, they also help mothers with conceiving, breastfeeding, and childbirth recovery. Heike is a registered midwife. She's worked all over Germany. Um, she has also worked here 
clearly. And she is trained in homeopathy and acupuncture. She's a proud mama of two, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And we are very excited to have you here today, Heike. What a crazy dynamic we're going to get out of these two guests. So welcome, Heike. Hi, pleased to be here. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for joining. I'm, I'm so happy to have you both. It's funny because I haven't met either of you and this episode came together very organically and I, I wanted sort of very different opinions on the topic. And our producer, Megan, said, oh, well, I know an erotic expert and then I have a German midwife who are both friends of mine and they'd be perfect. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, that is definitely interesting. And, and, and here we are. And here we are. So thank and you. There's only, only one of the three of us has English as their first language. So it should be an interesting episode with a yes. lot of funny words. I speak funny. <laughs> Um, sometimes and so, so do I. I think that's perfect. So I there think, you go. I think that's that just adds layers to to the cake here. It's so awesome. Well, I'm going to ask some some pretty deep questions. We'll say, but honestly, the the moral of the story here today is we just want to really sort of debunk some of the myths that occur around sex after kids. We want to, you know, dig in there and talk about the gray areas as we call it on YGT mama podcast. It's, it's talking about the stuff that's not so commonly talked about. And I think when it comes to sex after kids, things that we don't talk about so much are the emotional baggage that comes along with it, the the changes that happen to our body, and also the technical stuff, like the physical changes, not just the lifestyle changes. So I think we're going to get some really great opinions from both sides of the spectrum today. So my first question for you guys, for both of you, is from your experience, your own personal experiences, what are the most common reasons why couples tend to have less sex after kids? Now, I know this isn't the case for every couple, and I will start the whole podcast with that. This is, you know, a personal situation. We're sharing our journeys. We're sharing our stories. This will not pertain to everyone. But why do you think it is more common that couples have less sex after children? And we'll start exhaustion. with <laughs> yeah, exhaustion. <laughs> so true. Oh man. Oh, there's exhaustion, and I think there's uh, what I see with my clients constantly, and in the workshops I hold, is that there's this expectation. Um, there's this false expectation for things to go back and things um, to go back the same way that we expect our bodies after pregnancy to, you know, bounce back or go back to the way they were. And they will never go back. It will, it's just going to be different. You may even get thinner. You may even get smaller boobs or bigger boobs or like everything, but everything is just going to change because, you know, you've made a human inside you. You it got cut out or you pushed it out and even if you didn't make a human inside you, you have suddenly a new tiny human that you need to take care of and you are everything to them. So the amount of um, attention that you can pay to yourself and to your partner is much less. So you can't expect things to go back to the way they were. You need to find a new way for things to be. So you can't have the same sex. I mean, I, I can ask both of you, you're both parents, you have kids at home. When was the last time you had really loud sex? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, right. it's definitely a more silent notion. <laughs> I find a lot exactly. of shushing going on. Don't wake the baby. Like that's, that's the biggest. And I, like, I, I felt like my second dragon had this um, radar. He really didn't want a sibling. So anytime <laughs> we were starting to get into sexy times, he'd wake up. Uh, and <laughs> 
So, so no, sex cannot be the same. Yeah. We, you can't just because you're a parent. So everything, and so everything changes. Your body is different. Your attention span is different. Uh, and also seduction and intimacy has to change. You cannot have the same kind of intimacy with your partner uh, that you used to have. And oftentimes we, um, we even lose a sense of intimacy. We believe that because we spend so much time with our partners taking care of our babes, that we are spending time with our partners when that's not the case. We're not spending time with them. We're actually, well, we're, I mean, we are, but we're doing something um, in, in the parenting role. We're not sharing an experience or sharing an intimate moment. We're not spending time with each other. We are spending time together to do something, to take care of the house, to run an errand, right. to, to, yeah. so, um, so again, things change, intimacy changes, the way your relationship is changes and the way your relationship is with yourself too. Uh, when I hold these workshops, I often ask, or no, not often. I always ask, uh, people who attend my sex after kids workshop or sex after baby workshops, ask them, okay, so I, you know, first time you had sex after baby, okay, you'll tell me later, but I want to know when do you start masturbating after baby? Mm -hmm. And women will be like, no, what, what do you mean masturbating? I'm like, yeah, you know, touching yourself, feeling yourself, finding out how you look differently now that you've had a babe, how you feel differently. And more often than not, the answer is like, no, I can't masturbate. And I'm like, why not? Well, because I don't want to have sex. If I don't want to have sex, I can't masturbate. So and for me, it's very yeah. yeah, and it's very different. It's a very different. It's it's not. There's a desire there, but you're they're not letting themselves feel that desire because they feel obligated to their partners, right. so they can't. And I said no, but intimacy with yourself is a very different thing than intimacy with your partner. You may not want that kind of intimacy with your partner yet, and you need to work at it. And there's something, there are a lot of things that need to happen in order for you to want to jump in the sack again with your partner, like healing after birth. Right. And that I'm sure Heike will have a lot to say about mm -hmm. that. Uh, but you need to have intimacy with yourself. You need to relearn what your body is like, what your body feels like, because maybe a lot of things that you were into before, you're not into now. Maybe things that used to feel good before don't feel good now. So you have, you have to just kind of teach yourself, right? You have to, to learn about yourself. Yeah, you, you need to learn about yourself. And then you can tell your partner. How can you tell your partner, no, this hurts, no, I don't like that, or if you haven't even touched yourself. And how can you expect to be desirable to your partner if you haven't, if you haven't reacquaintance yourself with your own body. Right. And I think it's so interesting, this topic, because it comes up in every episode and it's that whole, the whole idea of surrendering to this new life. So whether it's about sex, whether it's about friendships, whether it's about hobbies or lifestyle or amount of sleep, whatever it is, it's this whole concept of surrendering to your new life as a mother, because you do have to let go of pieces of who you once were in order to become this new version of yourself. And I, I imagine that yeah. is the same for it's, sex. Exactly. Just think, yeah, just think like now that you're a parent, you can't leave your house. You can't yeah. unless you have like you take a little person with you, which oftentimes takes like just half hour longer, just because that's the way it is. And winter 
just gets worse. Or you need to make arrangements for somebody to be with that person while, while you leave the house. But it's, there's no more like, oh, I want to step outside of my house and then, you know, just walk around the block. So and I take my bag and I take my keys and I just go. It, that, that doesn't happen anymore. And that's a huge change in your independence and in your life. And it's, every, again, everything changes when you become a parent. So why wouldn't sex change too? Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to ask you, Kelly, well, I've got you here, um, that uh, how did you get into this profession of yours? Can you tell me a little bit more about exactly what being <laughs> sure. an erotic expert means? What does that entail? What does a day in the life of Kelly look like? You did mention that you do some workshops and, you know, you help people with sex after yes, kids. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Of course. So I, I guess I've always done this or not always, but for a really long time, I just didn't get paid for it. Um, but I'm, so I'm a published author. I have two books in Spanish, but they're, um, uh, they're published in Mexico and I've published articles here and there too. Uh, and I, so I've always been sex curious and I've always had a lot of knowledge, uh, regarding sex and I've had also, always the non-judgmental part like it's everything has always been very interesting to me so a lot of people would come to me to ask me about their own relationships their 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 curiosities or to tell me adventures they've had because they couldn't tell anybody else uh and then i have uh so i have a master's in critical theory and my my topic was which is basically philosophy um you know the kind of thing that lands you a really great job and I am totally joking, um, but my my focus was erotic literature. And when you study literature, you're studying psychology and philosophy, uh, history, anatomy. You're studying a lot of things, so you get you end up delving really really deep into a subject. So I have a master's and I have a PhD or almost PhD. It's basically finished, except for the fact that I started having babies. Yeah. So I was I wasn't able to finish. Yeah. Yeah, so I wasn't able to finish the dissertation, but that's on my to-do list. And the erotic part, because I'm not a sex therapist, um, I'm and I'm not a therapist. I'm a I'm a health coach. I'm a holistic health coach. I'm certified. Um, but the erotic is the part of sexuality that uses the brain, and our brain is our largest sex organ and the one that is least used. Interesting. So yeah, and. So when we think about sex, we usually think about our sex organs, right? We usually, we think about our vaginas, our penises. You know, we, that's what we think about when we think about sex. But in truth, like sex is the brain. That's so true. If you yeah. have your brain in the right mm -hmm. way, right? Like you were, you were talking in the intro about like being so tired, you don't want to put your sexy face on. No, you don't need, really need to put your sexy face on. You need to put your sexy brain on. Mm, I like that. <laughs> in order to be able to have your sexy times. So anyway, so having the, the, uh, the experience and all the knowledge on the erotic and sexuality. So I, I, put the things together. So I'm a health coach and, uh, an erotic expert. Um, I'm basically the only one around that does the kind of things I do because I work with my clients in a very different way than most people. Um, I, I'm a very big admirer of sexologists and sex therapists and, and couples therapists. I think the work they do is, um, is really great. Uh, but the kind of work I do is different because most people who, who go seek help 
for their sex lives, there's, um, they're either had a traumatizing experience mm -hmm. of the violent kind, or they're, you know, in, the, in, in a rough spot with their partner. So those are usually why, th those are the two main reasons why people go seek a sex therapist, which is great, or a couples therapist, which is fantastic. But the way I work, I work more on the individual and on the self-intimacy, because I believe that intimacy starts with yourself. So you need to learn how to be intimate with yourself before you can be intimate with your partner. We have this notion in life, um, you know, we all become sexual beings, but nobody really teaches us how to do it or how to learn how to do it or how to learn how to become sexual beings it just kind of happens to us and we start defining our erotic selves through experiences and through um, exposure and education and as we know education is not the best in in sex no, ed unfortunately and yeah. <laughs> and families are usually not helpful because family is it's a difficult subject to talk about or there's a lot of shame or guilt or taboos there and then there's all these expectations from you know from the outside right we watch movies and we see television and and we expect sex to be a certain way when it really isn't and then we have these experiences and these experiences which are basically making us and transforming us into sexual beings and these experiences are usually negative right we or and by negative i don't mean violent i just mean like kind of blah i don't so how, how was your first kiss? My first kiss was really slobbery. And I was like, oh, really? It's <laughs> oh, so funny. Amazing. Heike, I wanted to ask you sort of the same question. You know, what are the most common reasons you hear from, you know, a physical standpoint, from a professional standpoint with your experience, the common reasons why couples tend to have less sex after kids? And a second part to that question, I also want to know, you know, how long is the appropriate amount of time to wait after having a child to have sex. And I know this probably varies in Germany and in Europe and different countries um, than it does here. And I'm just really curious to know your answer from a professional standpoint on that. Right. I think the most typical question is like, can I even, or like, when can I, or will I hurt something even further? Or like, how does it look down there? So the first thing I recommend always is like, okay, then let's take a small mirror and you look at your own, perineum look at your own vagina look how it actually looks women are very afraid after they maybe had some stitches that it would um like that it's not healing properly for example um and then sure from a very technical point the pelvic floor was very stretched was very um like had a lot to carry in the pregnancy and then had a lot to do during birth during giving birth so there's for sure a reason or um, it's good to let it just heal, just, just let it rest for a bit. Um, but it's not only about having mm -hmm. not having sex. I think um, just resting and not doing anything like actually taking a postpartum period is even so much more important, right? Like let the mind rest, let the emotions rest and heal um, and the body itself, the pelvic floor, um, the perineum. Um, so here I see so many women walking around on their fourth day postpartum, fully made up in their, her heels. Um, with like even a jaundice baby right beside her, right? Like a teeny tiny baby with clear jaundice. So you know that's like the third or fifth day, whatever. <laughs> 
um, and I'm so shocked because I'm like just stay stay in your bed like let yourself like let people take care for you but it's just maybe it's like our generation that is out and about um, I know that we need to go out and yeah. like get some fresh air do things also for our mind or for our mental health but um, letting the body and the pelvic floor heal after birth is so 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 important so important i i agree with that i mean uh, embarrassingly enough i was one of those people not with the high heels i i still don't wear high heels <laughs> but definitely up moving around even though you know i had some stitches i had some stuff going on down there and i just i I do. I have a really hard time. And I think this is something that a lot of women struggle with in our society. Now I have a really hard time relaxing or taking it easy. You feel like you have to do everything and you have to do everything well, and you have to do everything now. And our, you know, we've had it ingrained in us that things need to get done. And now all of a sudden you have this new person in your life to take care of and things need to get done right <laughs> I, I feel like I'm totally guilty yeah, of that then totally it feels so quickly so overwhelming because as Kelly said we just want to go back to our old life and we want to kind of um yeah go there and like live on like where we where we started off but then there's additionally a baby mm -hmm. that actually needs like all of our time right takes up all our time and um then it can get overwhelming very quickly anyways yeah so from, yeah. Like, I, I think that is the powerful message that we need to really just embrace our new life as yeah. a mom we need to embrace it all we need to realize it's going to change sex is going to change our body's going to change you know our relationships our friendships our everything everything is is changing and it's okay because we need to accept it I think what Heike is saying is is fascinating is so important but in just thinking about the kind of care um, women get here in Canada and, and women get, uh, the mm -hmm. experience I have is basically, um, Mexico, the U S and, and, um, and Canada and knowing what the kind of care that women get in Europe. And I mean, in Mexico, pelvic floor physiotherapists don't exist. It's not a thing. It, they just, it's, there are none. Um, I've looked. And in the States, it, they're very uncommon here in Ontario. There's a few, but how many women do actually go to help to go to one to help them heal? While in Europe, it's I mean, in France, it's mandatory. Right. Or Heike, you, you have more experience in that than I do. Like we we get no recovery for that's physical recovery. And then we also need to talk about the emotional recovery from childbirth right childbirth is not the same experience for everyone and there's a lot of women who have a very traumatic birth and you can't expect them to want to have sex again mm -hmm. if they haven't had a full physical and emotional recovery from that um from that experience that's two things that i like to hop off like the the um giving birth here if you don't have the right care can be very traumatic right like early inductions um and then a high epidural rate and then somebody telling you how to push telling you that you're not doing it correctly because you actually don't feel the urge to push um and then very in a very short time like first time babies here are out in within 10 minutes whereas mm -hmm. i am used to like give them three hours at least like all those things give us doesn't empower women at all so we don't have like that empowerment for the for the life after and also it hurts it hurts them um, the pelvic floor more it hurts um for sure our soul and heart more 
and then the the aftercare like not only in france also germany it's mandatory and also covered by health insurance so if we leave the lazy one percent out 99 percent of all women do a precautious pelvic floor class um mm. so everybody does at least six eight weeks of um, pelvic floor class once a week i did start to offer that here and the response was very high women were just more afraid about uh, like getting internal examinations in a group class so that's not in case not not the case i'm not doing internal examinations within a group of 10 but um why, why not but why not but why not well i'm joking i'm yeah. joking but it's, it's a precautious thing right like women here start and seek help when they already have issues and then it takes so much longer to repair it and to heal it than to do that is actually um, evidence-based, do a precautious something, exercises, classes, um, um, not to even get incontinence. Like pee when you sneeze or laugh, that's not what we want at all. That's um, that's not what we are looking it's for. It's not normal, right? And we think it is normal. normal. It is not, right, exactly. Like that's just what mm -hmm. Tina Lady, sorry about that, but wants to tell us, but it is not normal and we need to work on that for sure and then part of the pelvic floor is nourishing like circulating black blood into the clitoris so if you do have issues with the pelvic floor just technically we cannot enjoy sex at all or less or different to before right so doing a precautious class and like hopefully health insurance covered even that would be a mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, and that's such a important point of what I wanted to cover off on too. how, you know, how much does our own expectations as well as sort of society's expectations play into our mindset around sex? Because like Kelly said earlier, you know, a lot of it is our, our sexy brain. It has nothing. It's our biggest sex organ. So what, like, what are we telling ourselves? What are the stories that we're telling ourselves around sex? And what's playing into that that's coming from society right yeah and you we can i mean jumping off what Heike is saying about preparing your body and preparing and or that women only go for help unfortunately when they when they need help like after the fact i had um a client who was just fantastic and she she did seek help but she couldn't even like she had an extremely traumatic birth and she couldn't even like do the exercises that the pelvic floor physio told her to do because she she had so much guilt regarding her birth. Um, so she came to me and we, we we worked on first of all on her birth story and the way she told it. I I realized that her story was wrong. She felt like she had made the mistakes. Like she she had all the guilt about all the, the you know the everything that happened to her, how her body got destroyed was her fault. And I was like, that wasn't your fault. You had no choice. You weren't given the choice. You didn't have the proper care. The doctors were horrible. They treated you really badly. Um, no, that wasn't, it's not your fault. And the moment she reframed the story and she realized it wasn't her fault, she was able to start healing her physical body too. Emotions like play a big role in that, right? Like, like little things can be so traumatic for women. And then not having aftercare, like being able to talk with caregivers about it and letting go of those thoughts or feelings. And then they're just piling up and you like, yeah, thinking that like she's, she, it's her own fault. That's terrible. 
it's really terrible. But what aftercare, right? If here again, here in Ontario, you have midwife. If you're with midwives, you have six weeks of aftercare. But only fifteen percent in Ontario do have midwifery care. Eighty-five percent still do go with obese. So that's a big yeah. part. So yeah. So you have the the moment you give birth, and then you have six weeks later another visit, and then that's it. That's you're done, right? right. And yeah. um, so from like what happens I, to the care? Right. So where where I like back home, for example, we do have we do six weeks postpartum care as well, but we go to their homes. Like they don't need to leave their homes and can be in their hormonal balance a bit more, maybe. And then it's still the midwife mm-hmm. that they seek help with with everything else. So they would come to their midwife that they know that I have known for the whole pregnancy and labor and the postpartum and then maybe address those issues as well trauma or pain wow so interesting it's crazy um so I wanted to also talk you know on more of a sexy side of things so Kelly you mentioned how you know, our sex drive comes mostly from our mind, right? Um, I'd love to sort of talk a little bit more about sex drive and what that means exactly. And if you have some tools, um, you know, without giving away all of your goods, <laughs> if you had some tools sort of for working through them, I know we started off the conversation talking about masturbation and talking about, you know, figuring out for yourself what's going on down there before involving a partner but how can we get that sex drive back and is it something that that even exists is it a myth or is it no 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 it totally exists but we do need to work on it so there's two things i would say and i'm not giving i'm not giving out all all my goods but i'm giving Mm -hmm. like my biggest goods um here uh, so one is to go, they're both going out on dates. And so the first one is go out on dates with your partner. I've, I've seen many, many couples who just don't have or um, like sexy times. And, and, and I always ask again, when was the last time you went on a date? They're like, oh, um, six months ago. I'm like, well, that's not good enough. Right? How can, like, do you, how can you expect to have intimate, physical, intimate um, times when you don't have emotional, intimate times? And I, I had somebody who in the workshop was like, well, we, you know, we have a date every night. We go to the basement and watch Netflix. I'm like, yeah, but that's not it. Are the kids upstairs? Yes. Can the kids come down? Yes. Can the kids wake up? Yes. So that's not a date. A date for me when you're a parent is walking out the door without children and even walking around the block. Just like without children, you have to take your cell phone because, you know, emergencies and children and all of that. But you really need to spend time with your partner and you try not to talk about, you know, the, the big to do list and the big, you know, worry list. But just try to hang out and to spend time with your partner. So that's my first big thing. And my second and I think it would be even bigger is to go out on dates with yourself. Um, as parents, as mamas, we give and give and give and spend all our time either w- with work and with our children, and we don't have time to ourselves. Um, and by time, and if we do, we maybe go get you know a manicure or a pedicure or a facial or something like very physical for ourselves, which is fantastic. But I mean, spending time with yourself, like go to a cafe on a Sunday morning and spend an hour reading a book and, and drinking a coffee. 
and don't be on social media. Don't write emails. Don't respond to emails. Don't, you know, just, just be with yourself. And don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> That's and the don't biggest feel piece. Yeah. Yes. And don't feel guilty about it. And you shouldn't ask for permission to do it. And you shouldn't be asking for a favor, especially if you have a co-parent in your life. When you have a co-parent in your life, just be like, hey, I need some time off. And actually just like be, say, I need time off. You, When you need some time off, you let me know. But I need to go away for an hour or two to spend or even to spend a whole day by yourself. Like how fantastic does that sound? I mean, we love our little people, but oh my gosh, a day by, I, I, I have fantasies of spending a night by myself. Um, <laughs> so true. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I'm very fortunate. I have my, my parents who are very helpful as well. And they were foster parents for you know, 30 years and they find my kids to be very easy to manage. So they're happy to take them, but not everyone has that. So I think being able to lean on your partner and not feel guilty about it is, is a huge piece. And I do think having more time to yourself, more time to breathe and take care of yourself and, you know, fill up your own cup, then, you know, you will feel more intimate. You, you won't have those issues of resentment and, because I, I think for me personally, in the beginning anyway, you know, reasons I, I was sort of turned off of sex were resentment. I was like, you, you did this to me. <laughs> and I, it took some, some work to get over, but I, I know I'm not alone and other women struggle with that issue around resentment. And, you know, I also had a lot of fear, not just fear of, you know, changes in my body, of course, those existed too. Oh, is my vagina too loose? Oh, is this, you know, extra belly fat, a turnoff? Is it gross? You know, I'm so different. I'm not sexy. I also, you know, we'll make this an explicit episode, but I had hemorrhoids and, you know, all of these issues that I never had before. That nobody tells you and that nobody tells you about, no. right? Like, <laughs> Did anybody ever tell you that you would have the largest hemorrhoids ever after giving birth? No, nobody told you about that sexy, that's sexy thing. Right? Like, that's, like that's one thing. Yeah. Preparation is also a big thing, I think. Like a, a good birth preparation class where actually those things are addressed. So when I do my birth preparation classes, a big part of it is... Um, couple relationship after. Exactly what you said, Kelly. Like um, even out the me time right like um the partner goes to work and then we're even envious about his his one hour on the subway back and forth and about this half hour lunch break although he doesn't feel like that but what would i give for half an hour lunch break in the middle of downtown um and like even that out like as soon as nursing allows um everybody gets a afternoon on a weekend for a cafe as you said or everybody gets like one night out where he or she can go for sports or just for drinks with friends and then i also think um that like talking about it and um yeah like um talk like talk with your partner about um, your needs but then also when we leave them alone um, don't expect them to do it exactly the way you do because then that happens then you're disappointed and you're kind of like well like not turned on because you're so disappointed about your partner but if you expect your partner to watch the kids or to to bring them to bed while you're out or do the laundry or whatever just let them do it their way they don't need to do it your way i think that's a big thing that we need to learn 
because we always want to. Yeah, communication, Heike, that's, that's it's key. And and as you said, resentment, it plays a huge part, right? Like, oh, you and uh, you, so both you and, and Sabrina, like, oh, you did this to my body or, or my body doing everything, right? I carried a baby for nine months, pushed it out or got it cut out. Now I'm nursing this baby and you're just sitting there. <laughs> like, what is, like, why are you just sitting there, right? So um, I say that the intimacy and also like seduction changes. So it, it for some women it is still very seductive for to get flowers all the time. For me, you know, my partner used to he knew my husband he knew especially with my first baby that I was starving, I was ravenous and super thirsty um, every time I nursed. So every time I nursed for the first few weeks and when he was around, I would have water and a snack right next to me every single time. Mm-hmm. And that was like, okay, that was his way of, you know, he couldn't do physically what I was doing, but he was doing as much as he could. Yeah. But I had to, but I also had to communicate that to him. How can I expect him to know how hungry and thirsty I am unless I tell him? I think that's a big, a good point too, is that, you know, we get so frustrated with our partners, but at the end of the day, they don't read minds, right? So communication is huge, even if it's uncomfortable or embarrassing, you know, talking about what you're feeling and what your body's going through is, is very important, I believe as well. And that leads me to a question actually from one of our listeners. Um, you know, we, we put out in advance what we're going to talk about and people give us things that they want to know about. So somebody asked husbands and partners, why don't they get it? How can we help them get it? Why do they feel so rejected when we say no? And how can we bridge the gap of how we feel and how they feel? So I think what she's trying to say is, is why, why is it such a, a disconnect between men and women in, in some occasions? Obviously, this doesn't pertain to every relationship. But why is there such a disconnect in, in the way we feel about sex? Um. Well, first of all, their bodies haven't gone through what our bodies have gone through. Their hormones are not as crazy as our hormones are going. So, and there's, we're not talking enough. If you don't talk and if you don't communicate, it's very easy for, for men or for your partner to feel hurt and rejected when you say no, because they take it personally. And it's like, honey, it's not that I don't want you. I don't want anything right now. I don't want to be touched. My, my hemorrhoids are like larger <laughs> than you'd care to know. Um, my, my vagina is on fire. I just, I, I really want to poop, but I'm scared to like, everything is like my, my boobs are leaking. I feel I need a shower, but I don't have the energy to shower. But like how I, I can't tolerate myself. How can you want, like, it's just, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm really, (laughs) I guess I'm so close to giving birth and I'm just like protecting. (laughs) No, that's actually (laughs) I'm protecting all my fears right now and all my, um, but we don't, we don't tell them, right? We expect them to know and they don't know. They really don't know unless they've gone through it. And even if they've gone through it with you once or twice or how many times you've, you've had a baby, it's not the same. And things, again, things change. Every, as they said, as Heike and also you, Sabrina, you know, like every pregnancy is different. Every birth is different. Every baby is different. Yeah. So you need to talk and you need to tell them and not to take things personally. 
And I oftentimes with clients, I will tell them to take sex completely off the table. Like there's no sex. You can't have sex for, for, for one month or two months or three months. If you feel like it, you can do other things and you can be intimate in other ways, but no sex. And once you take the expectation of sex as in penetration, um, things change because it's like, oh, so we can be intimate and we can be cuddly and we can kiss without you expecting, like without the expectation of, of penetration. Okay, I'm game. That's good. That's That works for mm-hmm. me. Like that, to put mm-hmm. the pressure out, right? And there's, there's no time for normal, like just yeah. touching or petting. Like we don't have time because then the baby wakes up or we're anyway tired. So let's get it over. Or like, yeah, like that part misses. I like that to put the pressure out. Mm-hmm, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had I had a client who like hadn't had sex after baby for like six months, and then they had sex, and and they were, it was super awkward. It was very, it was the most awkward <laughs> sex you can imagine. And and I said, okay, I I I see that. When was the you know, when was the last time like well before, before baby? Okay, so do you guys kiss often? No, we don't really kiss. Do you guys cuddle? No, we don't really cuddle. So do you make out? No. You guys hold hands? No. So I'm like, so how can you expect to go from zero to the most intimate action, like act that we know as humans and expect it to be normal when you don't have any other kind of tender touch? So true. Yeah, that makes so much sense because it, it is, you know, we do, we get busy and it's like, we think like Heike just said, we, we think it has to be such a speedy process and it's like, okay, let's get this over with. And, you know, often I've talked to my girlfriends about this kind of thing often. And, you know, it's like, yeah, we had sex, but there's no kissing involved. Even while you're having sex, it's very, it's like a very quick. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I found at first when the babies were really young, it was a lot of shushing, like, shh, shh, don't be noisy. That's quiet you're gonna wake the baby and I'm like that's sexy right, right. It's, so it's, it's i like that idea sorry, for some it's even weird like often the baby's still in in like your room and then for for a lot of couples it's weird to have sex in front of the baby the sleeping baby what like the baby doesn't mm-hmm. care but parents might feel weird so yeah i talk mm-hmm. about personal experience a lot in the preparation classes just also to to put the pressure out right like in the I think in the after half a year having my first baby I'm like oh my gosh all second babies are actually wonders like how can they all have a second baby how do they even do that just time management and like from your feeling and whatever I mean that like and that's um just to know that the first year most likely is the, the most craziest year anyways and then it just continues and then I had a very interesting talk with my husband within that first year that, and we both had the same feeling, but we just didn't talk about it, that um, you have like 100% of love. Like that's kind of what you have. And you gave that to this one person, to your partner. And then this so much expected, most wanted baby arrives and then this baby gets some love and then actually the most of it. And I had the feeling I need to split this 100%, like cut it into parts. And my partner actually had the same feeling. What I thought is so interesting. Like, there's just not more that the heart can give, right? So, so like, part of the love goes over to baby. But there, there's this um, this story that I heard about how love is like a candle, right? Like fire. So you think like you're given your partner like all the fire you have. 
but you know fire you can light another candle with your fire and it Absolutely, doesn't take like away the from siblings, the first one we also tell we always tell them mommy's heart is just growing and then there's more love and for sure that's what we can work on but i think at the very beginning beginning it often feels like you just love this little being so much you kind of settled <laughs> done that's it i don't need more and then the part might feel mm -hmm. left out and then that just continues to the things we were talking about totally um, so Kelly, I have a question for you and this is, I'm going to ask sure. Heike a question too around sort of tangible tools for our listeners today. And again, I don't want you guys to give away all your goods. We're going to direct people on the show notes to your websites and to any courses that you offer and that kind of thing as well. So if people are interested in, in seeking out more, they have that opportunity, but just maybe one tip or tool that you could give the listeners. And so Kelly, something around boosting your libido is there an exercise is there you know a magic pill is there something that you know if there was one thing you could give to everybody to help with this what would what would that be um i think it would be patience patience uh with yourself and with your partner and also expanding your horizons that's why i love erotic literature and pornography um, because you you can't let your imagination roam free um, and and just see, read or watch and and just let, let let things happen i like that um we don't yeah and and there's a lot of smut out there um and there's a lot of really really bad literature but there's also really good stuff out there um i'd be happy to to recommend some and uh i had i have this um erotic book club on, on facebook which is currently on hiatus due to my life <laughs> being a little crazy right now uh, but it will return and there's, uh, so there's that and there's, and pornography, as long as you know what pornography is, which is a representation of sex, it is not sex. And as long as you know what you're watching or where to watch it, there's a lot of really great stuff, um, especially feminist porn, which is stuff made for women by women, like very focused on narrative and very focused on female pleasure. And it's just fantastic stuff. Feminist porn. I, I'm going to have to look into that. I think porn gets a bad rap. I really do. I think, you know, so many women that I hear getting angry with their partners for watching porn and it's such a taboo, almost scary, jealous rabbit hole that so many people go down when pornography is involved. So I'd, I'd definitely be interested in hearing more about this feminist porn. And um, sure. we'll get, I did, yeah, we'll get I did a lot of porn, porn work um, from an academic standpoint in my mm -hmm. academic days. Sorry, I'm fascinated by that. But we'll <laughs> definitely we'll put some links up on the site for people because I, I do. I think, you know, there's a lot of smut out there. Like you said, there's a lot of gross stuff available to well, available to everyone. It's kind of terrifying how easy, easily accessible it is. But I'd love to to learn more about that because I do think it is a representation of sex. And if, if it's used appropriately and with your partner, it can be a, a good tool to sort of boost the libido yeah. for sure. Or even by yourself, right? In the yes. same way, like, why would you feel like, I don't know, would you feel um, 
angry if your partner masturbates? No, because they're spending time with themselves, right? They're they're doing the same way that you can't expect your partner to feel like angry if you masturbate. So if they watch porn and like, of course, there's addictions and there's like ex- ex- excesses, but that's with everything. So yeah. if they're spending time with themselves, like, you know, the day, the night that you go out with your girlfriend because you needed some time off. And, and you wanted to take some time off and your partner, you know, put the kids to bed in a jiffy and then has times like, hey, watch some porn and masturbate and have, you know, have a blast. Go for it. <laughs> Here's a gift to you. <laughs> Here's a gift to you. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's so good. Um, so, Heike, my question for you is as far as tangible tools are concerned, um, you know, what are, what's one thing you could sort of give moms? And again, I don't want you giving away all of your goods, but what's one thing you could tell moms to do to prepare their bodies in advance for childbirth? Just one thing. I know there's dozens of things and you teach entire programs on this, but what, what's one thing if, if you could only give one gift to a mom that's about to have a baby, you know, one thing to sort of help with all of the pelvic floor related issues, birth issues, all of that. To limit that on one is really hard. And then <laughs> only pelvic floor related, it's for sure information, right? Gather information yeah. um, about the negative parts as well, like to actually know what is changing, what is going on with the pelvic floor, that there might be hemorrhoids, that there might be a tear. Um, if it's just pelvic floor related, then maybe perineal massage to get in contact with that whole area. Um, and get a small mirror at home to actually check afterwards that it doesn't look as bad as it might be fe- might feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like in an emotional partnership way, I always let them write um, like a small like list to what they expect of their partner postpartum or afterbirth, and then they exchange it, and then afterwards they look at it. So everybody has like needs or expectations not to forget those that we had before. Mm, that's smart. That's great. Yeah, I'm for sure. I might do that now. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> Kelly, there you go. Yeah, you do it and your partner do it. That's it as well, right? Like we, I think they, we also need to take, still like um, be confident that they also have expectations and a lot of changes for them as well. And they are under high pressure to then in that certain amount of time, feed this family on their own. So I think their pressure is high, although we think they're just out the whole day mm-hmm. um, doing something by themselves. So everybody has this high expectations, both come or meet in the evening, and then everybody's disappointed about the help they got from each other. So that's not the best start to actually have sexy time on that evening. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. And um, then, so, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and then additionally, like lack of sleep and all those physical changes that Kelly mentioned. Of course. Yeah. So at the end of the show, I usually ask our, our guests a couple of questions just for fun and to sort of bring the energy back to giggles. Um, and it also, it sort of exposes some helpful tools through these questions as well, but it's a great way to get to know our mama guests. So I'm going to start at Kelly, you can start and Heike, you can go after, but it's the same question for both of you. So what is your morning routine? And obviously this is going to be probably different than usual for you, Kelly, at the moment, but Typically, what does your morning routine include? Um, well, before I was getting contractions all the time, I used to wake up and 
um, my husband would go work out at 5.30 and then I would go work out at 6.45. So we would switch off. But right now, um, depends on the morning and depends how how amicable our second dragon is. He's a very early riser and he wakes up and he's such a morning person and he wakes up and he's like, hola! And he's just like, he's so happy to be alive. Um, even if it's five in the morning. No, oh, I love that. That's so adorable. <laughs> but I was like, hola, hola. Um, but he shares a room with his sister or we would just like let him. So we need to get, so um, if my husband has gone to work out, I will go in and get him. And, and so he doesn't wake up his sister, which yeah, doesn't work out so well. So then we do, um, we stay in our bed, in my bed, uh, which I wish was a king size bed because we really don't fit with two kids in there. <laughs> yeah. um, not even with one. And we just lay in bed and we play around a little bit. We do a lot of shadow play. Um, so we look at ducks, like I turn on my, my cell phone, um, you know, light and we look at we do look at ducks and then eventually we come down to breakfast. We do diaper changes, although or or we, you know, run around chasing little people trying to get their nighttime diapers off. <laughs> uh, and then we we have breakfast. I have a big, big coffee. Um and then trying to get on with with the day. I have like this fantasy of what my life used to be like without kids. I used to wake up like at five in the morning too, but very rested and do three, you know, an hour of morning pages and work out and meditate and do all these things that are that just right now seem like a very so much work. Different life. Yeah. <laughs> so much work and such a there is like, wow, like I was I really did that. Like why why did I wake up so early when I could not um so yeah and then you know chaos and and running to a preschool and trying to maybe shower if that's possible or not or just like getting one to preschool the other one interesting you know lots of tantrums lots of beautiful little people uh yeah how about you heko what's, yeah. what's your morning routine <laughs> consist of so at the moment, I'm the first to stand up and I try not to be too frustrated about that. Um, and then I wake the kids up and I go down and first make coffee. That's my first thing. <laughs> Till I then try to get all the lunches done and get them to school. Ah, oh, yes. School age. So much fun. This whole lunch thing, I'm just getting used to it. It's its a bit overwhelming. But yeah, it's the morning routines definitely change when kiddos come around. Okay, my next fun question for you guys is if time, money or scheduling were not an issue, what is one item at the top of your bucket list that you'd like to check off? Remember time, money, and that includes kids because scheduling. So anything that can involve your kids or not. <laughs> Kelly, oh, I, I I miss traveling. Yeah, me too. I miss traveling so much. Um, I used to be such a big traveler. Uh, I lived in different countries, like you did too, Sabrina. And I, yeah, traveling and writing. I think those are the two things I miss the most from having, like, from exhaustion and time. Uh, we're kindred spirits. <laughs> That's me too. How about you, Heiko? What's something you would check off the, the good old bucket list? Completely traveling too. That was just yeah. first in my mind. Just going somewhere, relaxing, reading, 
or a nap after breakfast on the weekends. Mm. That. Oh. <laughs> That's up on my bucket list. Like, I love how sleep has become such a dreamy item for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes in my classes, we make this joke that instead of doing pelvic floor exercises, they just come pay me an hour and I watch the kids and I can just sleep. Because that would be even cheaper than renting our hotel room, right? For an hour. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> business plan in the making here. Yeah, it, that would be an awesome business plan. I throw it in. Whoever wants to take it over. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We'll give some people some ideas here. Um, okay, third question. One parenting hack you cannot live without. Now, this can be a product. It can be a rule, an idea, an item, anything. Just one thing that sort of enriched and empowered your motherhood that you actually couldn't see yourself living without now. Can I start? Yeah. Because I read something very funny the other day that it's weird that in no parenting book there's a wine list included, but <laughs> I think it should be, like any recommendation. I know with nursing that's harder, and sometimes I'm afraid I'm getting, like I'm switching over to alcoholism, alcoholism, what would be dangerous, right? But like some sips of wine in the evening and the coffee in the morning. But then the same as we were talking about getting yourself an evening off or an afternoon off, um, as soon as possible as soon as nursing allows it um don't have a like don't feel bad about it you leave the house it doesn't matter in which state you go you go to your sports you go to your coffee or whatever just sit there meet friends yeah yeah so the the you time yeah amazing how about you kelly um i get batch cooking mm, for yes sure. very smart so, so I make an insane amount of granola, Love granola. like insane. Like I, I bought this bowl at Costco that my husband laughed about and now he's very happy I bought and my kids fit in it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the amount of granola yeah. I make. And that's what we have for breakfast almost every day. So that's, it makes it. Do you have a special chaotic. recipe no, that you'd be willing to share with everyone? Or is it a secret? Well, I have one. One of my recipes is in my is in my uh, on my mm. website. Um, I haven't, um, but every time I make it is different. Now I found a place that sells tahini in bulk, and I've been like making a lot of it with tahini because I that's what I crave because mm. calcium. Um, so that and manicures. I I I never got manicures in my whole life. I thought they were stupid, and since I I. I had my second baby. I get very fancy manicures every few Oh, good weeks. for you. I like manicures. Yeah. And they're like, they make me smile and they're fun. And my nails look fantastic and professional. So I'm, even if I'm a disaster and I barely showered, I can meet clients and I'm like, but look at my nails. You know, they look, if my nails look decent, then the rest of me should be decent. Amazing. Well, that kind of rolls into the the final question I was going to ask. And that was one self-care ritual practice um, that you would highly recommend for other mamas. And I guess, you know, manicures are included in that as self-care. So is, you know, taking some mama time. So that's all yeah. working, working out, out for sure. That's such a common one. Oh, Every sure. single mom that's been on the show so far has said that. What's your go-to workout in yeah, one word? I, What's I your go-to? It. Is it jogging? Is it yoga? What's your... 
well, I started going to this place called Orange Theory um, because it's very close to my house and it is very effective and very efficient. I, I usually don't like those kind of workouts, but it's high intensity interval training. It is you're in and out in an hour. You work out every everything. You have like over an, like at least half hour of cardio, and then you have strength, and you have it. They're really great classes. Um, so for right now, in which I don't have more than an hour to spare to work out, right. they're great. So that's that, that's right now my go. I've heard of that. I haven't actually done one yet. I it's on my radar though. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you ladies so much for joining us today. And, uh, you know, if there's anything else you want to add that we may have missed, feel free to do that now. Otherwise, thank you for all of this helpful information and all these useful tools for our listeners. So great. I think it's such an important topic that gets so overlooked and there's so much weird emotion wrapped up into it. So it was just really nice to chat so openly. Can I, can I say something um, before we finish up? Yeah everything is normal and everything is not normal. So we, we tend to think about sex after kids is like, Oh, what is normal? What, when should sex after like stop, start being pleasurable or stop being painful? Or when should I start desiring sex after kids? Or when should I, how often should I be having sex? Like all those questions, um, there is no answer to them. That is like a normalcy answer. No right everything is normal. And everything is not, there is no right. Yeah. Or, your, your own, your own answer is the normal yeah. and you, you shouldn't compare yourself to anyone. You should talk about it with friends because people don't talk about it. You should seek help if you need it. Most of us need help. I'm very grateful to my pelvic floor physio and my epino. Um, and I, you know, seek help, talk about it. Don't compare yourself and don't, don't have these crazy expectations because they come from nowhere. Yeah. Just, just listen to your body and listen to your partner and talk to your partner. For sure. Amazing. Well, thank you ladies, honestly, so much. It's been such a useful episode for myself. I can only imagine it's going to be for our listeners as well. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to have met both of you and I can't wait to put the show notes together. Well, and read the show notes that Megan helps me put together and get all of this information in one place so I can explore myself. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Okay, ladies. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sabrina Greer, your host, and you've been listening to You've Got This Mama, the podcast. You can follow us at YGT Mama and join our conversation on Instagram and Facebook. To get more information on the stories we share here, our books, the blog, our community, head on over to www.ygtmama.com. You can also access the show notes. If you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your daily listen and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us so much and we value every single review. We also have a special gift for our subscribers. I would like to thank our production team and Megan Krimpotich, our producer, for making this happen. Thank you so much to all of you for giving us your ear and tune in next week. In the meantime, please, please remember, Mama, you've got this.